abundance. We all want more of it. Health, relationships, career, prosperity. To be human is to strive for more. There's ample advice on how to create abundance. We need to have positive thoughts and believe in ourselves. But what happens if positive thinking doesn't come naturally? Are we doomed? I'm Jill McCabe, author, entrepreneur, negative thinker turned optimist, and your host on the Thinking Vitamins podcast. For years, I struggled to believe in myself. And for years, I fell short of my goals and aspirations. Until I learned a nifty bit of neuroscience that taught me how we can all rewire our brains to have more positive thoughts, self-belief, and abundance. That's what I created Thinking Vitamins for. Thinking Vitamins are sticky ideas, mantras, and perspective shifts that retrain your brain to expect good things to happen to you. So I ask you, are you ready to boost your abundance? Let's dive in. Welcome to Thinking Vitamins podcast, episode two where today's question is, how can we leave the world a better place than we found it? The problems with the world are becoming overwhelming. For the past couple of years, COVID has been absolutely changing the way we live, taking an unprecedented number of lives. The stances people are taking around how to respond to COVID are dividing families. Politics, at least in North America, where I live, are becoming more fractious than ever with people moving to extreme opinions. At the moment of filming this, we are witnessing war in the Ukraine, which is absolutely heartbreaking. And it's Women's History Month, where we're encouraged to celebrate women who have paved the way and their role in the world. And as I got to thinking about all of these issues and abundance, I started to think about abundance being more than just something we want for ourselves. Abundance, it's really hard to feel abundant when our neighbors, our communities, our families, when people around us aren't feeling abundant. So for episode two, I thought I would talk a little bit about ideas and things we can do to create more abundance for ourselves, but also for the world at large so that we might leave the world a better place than we found it. One of the things that got me really interested in talking about this right now is that because it's Women's History Month, I was fortunate enough to be invited to speak at a number of events. So far this month, I've already been invited to speak to four uh, groups, and a number of those were really about issues and causes that women face in particular. I'm thinking of one in particular, and when I was at that event, something happened that made me realize that some of the ways in which we approach, you know, making the world a better place actually are going against what's really needed. And at one of the events, I noticed dialogue taking place amongst the participants, that science actually suggests would in fact continue to hold 
women back. And the events that I'm speaking of, or the event that I'm speaking of, what happened was there was a lot of complaint about what, you know, the women's situation is. And there wasn't enough, let's say, discussion about the gains that women have made. And science teaches us that we limit ourselves when we do this and that we do better and the world does better when, in fact, we focus on gains, on progress, on things that are happening. So, I wanted to sort of start, before I get into all of that, I wanted to start with a beautiful quote uh, from Oprah that I think lots of people um, have made similar quotes because this is very much grounded in, in very good research. Oprah says, be thankful for what you have. You'll end up having more. If you concentrate on what you don't have, you'll never have enough. And this got me thinking about how we can use these ideas, not just for our own lives, but how we can leave the world a better place than we found it. Thinking vitamins with Jill McKay. I'm going to share some of the science so that you understand what I'm talking about. And I'll share some things that we can do. And of course, thinking vitamin at the end. Uh, but I also want to share a very personal story from my family to explain why, you know, this is very personal to me in Women's History Month in particular. I come from a pretty powerful female background, and it felt really fun for me to tell you a story about my great-grandmother, Pauline Wells. Pauline Wells, uh, she lived in Connecticut and New York, depending on the time, and a lot of my family are, I actually have 25% Ukrainian background from my father's side, and then from my mother's side, I have a fairly strong Irish background. And so it felt fun for me to talk about Pauline Wells, my Irish great-grandmother, on a podcast that is set to release on St. Patrick's Day. Now, Pauline Wells was tremendous for her time, and the things that she accomplished were truly astonishing. Uh, back in 1910, she apparently always really cared about issues of the world and social issues back then. Pauline Wells was actually one of the founding members of the Urban League. Now, the Urban League 
actually sought to improve the situation of working women back then, many black women. And she not only donated, but was involved in getting a lot of money and fundraising for the very first, what could be called affordable housing building. So that's pretty inspiring. And my grandmother went on and continued that work. Pauline was also a very active suffragette. We're sort of proud of her because she was notably in the big suffragette parade in uh, October of 1915. Now, her husband did not know what she did at that parade, but she had two young sons at the time. I uh, great uncles, and she, like five and six years old, she actually put them in a cage and had that cage drawn forth by a horse and buggy to say, hey, you know, the way you're treating us women, that's how you're treating, that would be like us putting boys in a cage. How would you feel about that? Now, needless to say, my great-great-grandfather was livid, and a photo of that even made a local paper, which absolutely humiliated him. And, you know, again, I come from this strong female stock, and so it happened, and he couldn't stop that it happened. Uh, he did support women getting the vote. He did not support his uh, young sons being taken around in a cage. And so that really showed a lot of bravery for a woman at that time to do that. Part, part of the story that is surprising and brings us back to thinking about how, how do we make the world a better place and, and how do we leave it better than we found it? Well, fast forward several decades. And in the 1970s, my mother herself was an academic and very involved in academic circles. And there was actually a movement of, of feminists who came out very strongly against the early suffragettes saying, oh, well, they were too rich and they didn't really understand the problems that were going on in the day. And and I'm going to call it nitpicking, like really kind of saying, oh, well, yeah, you did this, but you didn't really understand that or you supported the Urban League, but you didn't really know what it was like to be those women who needed that help. And it's just like, sure, OK, that's probably true. But is that really what we want to do is go back retroactively in history and criticize the people who took risks with their marriages, with their social circles to fight for a future for us? Or do we want to go back and be a little more gracious? Now, not only do I think being a little more gracious towards people who are sticking their necks out for us, maybe imperfectly, but they're doing it nonetheless. Not only do I think it's the human thing to do, science proves that it's the thing to do that will leave the world a better place than we found it. There is heaps of science. Neuroscience, recent neuroscience is showing us that we only have uh, the ability in our cognitive, you know, minds in the in the part of our brain that sort of experience in the, the world to have four to seven sort of concepts at once. We can't actually process our entire environment. That's why sometimes something's right in front of you, but a friend says, hey, you know, <laughs> 
look at that. Or why you probably can't close your eyes and describe every building on your street. Because your brain just simply can't process the world. It has a selective attention system that only pays attention to things that it thinks you want to know. I teach a lot about this in other places. And one of the things that's really important is that the brain, what's been learned recently, is actually predetermining what you say, what you see, and what you do milliseconds to up to 10 seconds in advance of you saying something, of you seeing something, and of you doing something. Because there are billions of what's called photons in our environment, and we can't handle it all. Our cognitive brains can't handle it all. We have this function in our brain that sort of tells us what to pay attention to, what to do, and what to say. And so you might find yourself wondering at this moment, well, how does it make those decisions about what I should see, do, and say? And that's a really good question to be asking because how it makes those decisions are what we put our attention on, what we think about. And you might see this come true in your life if you've ever purchased a new car and then all of a sudden that car was everywhere or mothers notice that they have a kid and then there's mothers everywhere or they see pregnant people everywhere. Um, there's, there's so many different examples of this, but you'll notice when you get something, all of a sudden your attention's on that thing. It's not that all of a sudden there are more mothers or all of a sudden there are more people who drive your brand of car. What's happening is your attention is there and therefore you're witnessing it. And this is meaningful because it actually, what you put your intention on grows and there's a really interesting example about how this relates to causes that we want to advance or leaving the world a better place. I was really, I was surprised, not surprised to hear some research about the Just Say No to Drugs campaign. Now, the Just Say No to Drugs campaign, for those of you unfamiliar, was a campaign in the States that had a very good, it was good cause, <laughs> really good cause. And what it did is it had these commercials where it would show, you know, one young person um, kind of minding their business and it would have another young person offering, uh, you know, drugs. And of course, the, the hearty little uh, boy or girl would just say no. Uh, and there were a lot of different circumstances where, you know, they had like different, you know, out of the curb or at a schoolyard or different places where someone might be offered drugs. Well, research after the fact has shown that that campaign sadly increased the use of drugs. And there was also a lot of drug education in schools going along um, as alongside this campaign, and they were able to absolutely unequivocally demonstrate that it increased drug use. And so it's like, huh? All of these, you know, we're supposed to be, you know, and what the concept was is that, oh, we're showing all of these kids being strong and saying no to drugs, and therefore kids will say no to drugs. But what was actually happening was that our brain is going to kind of copy what we see going on. And so the subtext of that was, hey, everybody does drugs. I guess I should do drugs. So unfortunately, that, that campaign 
caused the opposite um, to occur. And so when we think about what we could have done differently, the science shows us that what we would want to do to reduce drugs is show us all the people who don't do drugs and how cool they are. And that's that's how we're going to actually reduce drugs is to actually see what's already working and do more of that, right? Look at this great person who doesn't do drugs. Look at that great person who doesn't do drugs. And, and part of my background consulting in organizations and, and leading change is very much there is, uh, there's actually an equation to doing change in organizations. A lot of people think, oh, our organization, we can't change. We're so stuck in our ways. But if, if, a, if a scientist who understood the, the change equation came to your world, you would change. And one of the key drivers of change is having social models, is having someone you can look at who you aspire to, whether it be a public figure, figure or an influencer or an actor a musician, whoever that is that inspires you. And what happens is we copy their behavior, right? We copy their behavior. And the reason we do that is because as human beings, we are not safe if we're not in a community. We are at at deep risk and and you know we are wired to want to be in community because we somehow on a physiological level know that our life depends on it. Because of that, you know, when when we think about what we want to do to advance a cause we care about, what we want to do is actually point out all the good things happening because that creates a safety for us to join the good, right? It creates a safety for us to be a part of that. And so to bring this back to the events that I was a part of this week where there was, let's say, much complaint about the plight of women and how, you know, you know, whether it be women's pay or whether it be, you know, women's positions, that complaining is and highlighting all of the problems scientifically is is going to put us at risk of more. Now, I am not saying, hang on, I'm not saying that we can't point out what's happening. And and this is where it's really helpful to also understand a more scientific view of optimism, pessimism, something I like to call realisticism or something. I try to make up a word, but you get the idea. Um, a lot of people misunderstand optimism, and I certainly did until I read some books from clinical psychologists who, you know, we were looking at why optimists tend to do better and why they tend to have happier lives and uh, get further in business. And I make my living helping people build their businesses. And so it was very interesting to me to understand that optimism is not someone who sees the world through rose-colored glasses which I used to think it was, optimists are actually technically when they're being studied are people who are able to see the world as it is and then make the best of it. And I got to thinking that's less about seeing a half full glass, like the glass is half empty or the glass is half full. No, I got to realizing, hey, that's like saying, hey, there's an eight ounce glass. I see four ounces of water in it. I'd like eight ounces. How am I going to get 
that four ounces? How will I get four more ounces? So it's not about some delusional, oh, everything's great for women right now. Or it's not about some pessimistic, oh, things are so horrible for women right now. It's like, well, what about the four ounces in an eight ounce glass? What about saying, wow, how much progress have we made since people like Pauline Wells got the first affordable housing was a part of that project built or fought for the vote? How much progress have we made? How can we keep making progress? And just some stories from my own personal life. I, because I have worked in many organizations, I have seen male executives fight to get women on their team. I have seen many men because I help I help people who are in their 50s and 60s kind of come up with their legacy teaching, coaching, mentoring businesses. And I've seen many women supported by their husbands and partners in going after their dreams and saying, don't worry, go after it. And so, you know what is globally, is that glass full? The glass is not full. Is there a lot that needs to be done? Yes. Is there a lot that has been done? Yes. Are there a lot of men fighting for women? Yes. And that is important to highlight because if we just keep pointing out everything that's wrong and don't also create that space and point out what's working, like the Just Say No to Drugs campaign, we are at risk. We are at serious risk of highlighting why you shouldn't support women. And that's just, that's just science because our brains are going to want to keep us safe. Our brains are going to be noticing this and paying attention. So my call here today is that we want to be realistic. We don't want to be delusional. We want to notice what's good. We want to notice what's not good. But then as soon as we notice what's not good, we really want to do two things. We want to turn our attention to what's working. And we also want to turn our attention to how to have even more of that. And from a smaller scale, I certainly haven't applied this globally, but I've had the honor of being hired to apply this on a smaller scale where I used to work and do change leadership in entrepreneurial organizations before I start started helping individuals build businesses. I helped larger companies. And one of the key things that we did, and it was striking how effective it was, is we would notice, you know, let's say disempowerment in an organization or people not feeling confident taking actions. And we would sort of say, okay, well, we want more people taking confident action. So Instead of, you know, kind of saying, oh, people aren't taking confident action, uh, what we would do is we would say, well, who is taking confident action? Who is doing that? And we'd go, you know, this person in this department and that person in that department are doing it. And so then what we would do is we would go and study. And it, the, the term for this is quite terrible. It's study positive deviance, but it's the thing that's going right despite everything else going wrong. And go and look and highlight and study those people and discovering discovering what's enabling them to, to have this positive behavior and then modeling that and teaching 
other people this positive way forward. It's almost like we want to be, instead of being kind of pushed to something, we, we want to be drawn to it. And that's what creating opinion leaders does. So I'm going to highlight that you know, really looking at, you know, what is working, talking about it, sharing it, not nitpicking. Yes, it's, you know what, what's working is never perfect. Okay. It's never perfect. It's, there's, there's, you know, we see people who are out there in the world, you see them trying to, to put ideas on social media that are positive, and you see a million people come out and attack them. And I'm going to say, please, Please don't be that nitpicker. If we want to make the world a better place, other people are out there taking action. They're doing the best they can and let's cheer for them. So as I as I think about how we can leave the world a better place than we found it for ourselves, for our community, for our family, for for everyone. I have uh, I have some ideas and you know, really one of them is to think about being thankful, right? To really think about resisting that need to criticize the actions of others if they're imperfect and to focus on what's really working. I'm going to go back to Oprah's quote uh, before I get to our closing thinking vitamin, but Oprah's quote, and I'll say it the other way around, if you concentrate on what you don't have, you'll never have enough. But if you're thankful for what you have, you'll end up having more. So for today's Thinking Vitamin, I would love for you to remember that what you appreciate, appreciates. And I want you to remember that this is true in all realms of your life. So whether you're appreciating that you have food on the table or running water or a home, you know, whether you're appreciating personal things about you and what's happening for your career or your business or your life, what you appreciate appreciates, whether you are appreciating what people around you are doing for you. Maybe it's a friend or a family member who called and asked you how you were, or maybe it's someone who just smiled at you while you were walking by. Appreciate it, and more people will smile. And then finally, as we are thinking about the world at large and an un- what feels like an unprecedented and overwhelming number of tragic and painful things happening in the world. Let's do our best to appreciate everyone out there doing their best and really focus on that. And let's hope that this science, if we zoom out a bit, can help us leave the world just a little better then we found it. And that is today's episode. Thinking Vitamins with Jill McCabe Boost your abundance in every way Thanks so much for tuning in and listening to my brand new Thinking Vitamins podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support the show, 
I'd be grateful if you'd take a moment to like, follow on your favorite platforms, and share with one or two of your friends who've been seeking more abundance. If you'd like additional resources, including a free copy of my book, It's Go Time, by visiting thinkingvitamins.com. That wraps up what I have for you today. Until next time, remember, when it comes to training your mind to expect success, repetition wins. Practice your thinking vitamins every day and you will become more abundant in every way. Change your mind and change your life. See you next week.